In this podcast, we get to talk to former GP rider Danny Webb. Now racing in World Supersport, the likeable lad from Kent has had plenty of racing highs. But, as he says, nothing matches riding a Suzuki RG500 on the Isle of Man. Right, you rode the RG500, I think it was a Mark 10, didn't you, in 2018 and 19 at the TT. The classic TT. Yeah. Before yeah. you did that, were you aware of the RG's most sort of illustrious and successful racing history? Did, did that add to the attraction of racing it? Yeah, you know, you know what added added it to me the most was Barry Sheen. You know, yeah, right. Ah, okay. He's always been one of my heroes, and and as a family, we've always been close to the smarts. Um, and also, you know, I've met Barry's daughter and 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 um, his son, and and um, so we've always had that connection. But I never ever got to meet Barry, and he was always one of my heroes. Um, and when I was at the Classic TT a couple of years before. Steve Wheatman had one of uh, one of the first um, Grand Prix, 500 Grand Prix, Barry won on, um, and he let me have a go on it at Jerby. Where, the, where, uh, Jerby, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the parade. Um, and to be honest with you, my dad was there, and I was just, I was shocked he asked me to ride it. And it was kind of a bit like uh, a bit like a dream. Um and I couldn't believe it. And and anyway, I rode it. And and to be honest with you, if I'd have packed up racing then, I'd have been happy <laughs> because it was it was always one of my dreams, one to meet him, which unfortunately I never got to. But to ride one of his bikes and the one he won his first 500 Grand Prix on was was incredible. So really, quite an emotional experience then. Yeah, it was. And you know, I've always liked the two strokes and. You know, especially the 500s and the RGs was such an iconic bike, and a lot of people rode them. You know, and Mick Grant and Rob Mack and all them kind of guys. And um, you know, even though I was probably a little bit young um, to to see, well, I I never see any of them race. But you know, looking back at the history, I've always always been into the history of of, of motorcycle racing as well. So I always knew the names because obviously my dad used to speak about them a lot. Um, so you know, just to to also to meet them kind of guys and have them in my corner because I've gone back and I've rode a bike they've all had, had experience on was was incredible and also for my dad you know my, I mean my dad patted Mick Grant off on his parade lap around, around the Isle of Man and it was like I said to Steve Wheatman I, I, I could never repay anyone for for letting you know my dad in to, to do something like that and and we all got along as well which was which was fantastic so um, you know, not just riding the bikes, but just having them experiences around them people who have rode them has been kind of a dream come true. How long did you ride it for at Jerby then? Was it just a quick spin? Yeah, it was just um, it was just literally a fifteen minute parade, or it might have even been a ten minute parade thing. Um, but I did have a I did have a bit of a go on it. You know, I um, <laughs> I thought oh, I'll see I'll see what it's what it's really like, and then Paul Smart rode it afterwards because he was meant to be doing the parade lap. Um, on it uh, the next day or a couple of days later so um, after I rode it Paul got on it and I had a ride of it as well uh, what, what did it feel like? felt amazing you know obviously with the power bands and things like that it was um, it was just kind of bringing back memories of 125s um, but obviously a bit more powerful and um, 
so yeah, it, it was it was incredible, and I was a bit scared because you know that's the last thing you want to do is drop one or or do anything stupid on one, and uh, just had to bring back kind of the two stroke ways. You know, I'm not rolling the throttle off and anything like that. It kind of on and off sort of riding style, um, but luckily that come back to me quite quickly. I bet you had a massive grin, didn't you, by the time you'd got off it? Yeah, and, and again, it was just like, afterwards that night, I was kind of pinching myself thinking, did that really happen? And I, I carried on getting Dad to send, you know, send me a video or send me a photo if you got a photo of me on it. And it was just, yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. And it, it probably was one of, the, one of the highlights of my career. And, and that's including all the stuff that you've done at world level then? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the holding the last ever two-stroke pole position um, on a world championship stage, obviously, that's that's a massive thing in my career. Um, and winning the IRRT Road Racing Championship and, and a couple of the podiums on the 24-hour races. But, um, but yeah, I, like I said, I would have been, after that, if my career would have finished, and, you know, to, to say to my kids, hopefully, when they grow up, that I managed to ride Barry Sheen's bike, would have you know it just it just ticked every box what i've ever wanted to do shortly well not long later uh, i would imagine that people started approaching you about riding the rg at the classic tt then yeah it was um it was one of them i rode the xr69 for steve i think the year after i actually stepped in for lee johnson that year um and then the year after that i rode the xr69 again um and then we kind of was toying with the idea of racing the RG and Steve said, well, we've got enough bits, so we'll, uh, we can do it. Was he talking to you at the back end of 2017 then, the second year you rode the XR69, about the possibility of riding yeah. the RG? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and, you know, we had a good relationship anyway, so, you know, I, I kind of said, and to be honest with you, Paul Bolton, who, who was my chief mechanic on the bike it was incredible and you know he's worked for Harris he's worked for he's done a bit for Barry and them kind of guys so he knows his way around the bikes and um we just said let's do it you know so we um they got it all built up and we went to to spa um and done the parade thing there but we kind of used it as a bit of a cheeky test because it's quite good there as well because there's a couple of long straights um and uh, yeah, and then we, we, we went from there and then went over to the Classic with it. I mean, were you quite excited by the uh, prospect of racing at the Classic? Did you seize the sort of invitation with both hands? Yeah, yeah, I, I did, you know. And, and then after I rode it at Spa, I really enjoyed it, um, you know, because it was kind of the first time I could ride it in, in anger. Um, and then when I got to, to the Isle of Man, I suddenly got really nervous. And, um, and I was talking to, to Mick Grant because, you know, things started creeping in my head about the thing seizing up and, you know, all, all these kind of things, what can go wrong. And um, Mick was absolutely fantastic. He, he, cut, he walked me through it. He, he held my hand for it, really. And, um, and, you know, he was just like, look, you know, nothing, if there's a bit of an oil leak or whatever, just pull it over. He said, but it... it, it should never lock up on you because it's got four. Obviously, I'm used to a one two five, you know, and a one two five season up. It's got one cylinder, um, and you know when that seizes up, it locks up. He said, but when it starts losing power, just pull it over. He said you'll be fine, and that really eased my mind. So um, after that, it was kind of all go, and 
I think, uh, I don't know what lap we've done. I think we've done 115 mile an hour lap on it, um, which, which isn't right. too far away. Which, I, I, I think the expression you're looking for is bloody impressive. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and unfortunately in the race, we, um, we put a new radiator on it to, to just kind of get the problems out the way of what we thought, you know, could possibly happen because with an old radiator, you don't know what can happen might overheat or, or whatever. And, um, we put a new radiator on it and, and as I was coming into, to Ramsey, it started spitting water out. So, um, I brought it, got it back to the pits and it was actually the new radiator what caused us the problem because the, the neck on it wasn't, was, was bent a little bit. So it wasn't getting the water through. So, um, yeah, that ended our race, unfortunately. Um, and I think if that hadn't have happened, we, we possibly could have done the fastest ever RG lap, but um, but it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. Uh, who's, who has set the fastest RG lap and when? I think it's Rob Mack. Um, and I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what year it was, to be honest with you. Um, and I don't know. If, I think it's about 117 mile an hour. Um, but yeah, we managed. And I think in the race, we could have done it. Um, but unfortunately, unfortunately, we had to retire at the end of that one. To take me back a bit, Daddy. You've you've said yes to riding it. You're all excited about doing that. What was it like on those early laps? What sort of taught me through how the bike felt and its suitability to the island course? I mean, the the chassis on it felt incredible, um, and so did the engine. But it was just, it was just, you know, where I've been riding four strokes for a while. Um, and that's all I rode around there. The only thing I could kind of relate it to was the super twin I rode, um, you know, speed wise, but obviously the, you know, they kind of pull in every gear, you know, because they're, they're only a twin and they're not that fast. So they pull in every gear and this thing, you just had to ride it. You, you just had to ride it properly. You know, you had to go back a couple of gears and, and get on the gas and ride it through the corner instead of stopping it and squirting it because you couldn't you know you, you really had to think about it and you really had to ride it um properly uh you know in the first couple of laps i was in the wrong gear in some places and um and then i started to get the hang of it and and yeah it, it felt i don't think i ever had one proper lap where I, I, I felt like right that was perfect you know um because there was always one time i was in the wrong gear and then i had to slip the clutch and i was like i was kicking myself because afterwards I knew in the back of my head that I should have done it. Um, but, you know, that was the thing, um, just just learning to ride it and, and having to go back one or two more gears than what I normally would. So, I mean, is it really exacting? Do you have to get things just right to get a good lap time? Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, and the thing is, if you, if you do one of them corners in, in a higher gear, you've lost all your drive um, and then you've got to slip the clutch and then you've got, you know, you don't want to slip the clutch too much because you don't want to burn the clutch out. And um, so you really do have to, one, know the course like the, the back of your hand, but know it on that motorcycle as well. So um, that that was probably the hardest thing, just getting the gear selections right. Because I know the gears on a big bike and, and you know, on the 650 and that, but on, on that, it was just completely different. So coming out of places like Ramsey Hairpin and Governor's Dip, was there lots of clutch slip there each and every lap? Yeah, it was. You know, you had to really, really slip the clutch there. Um, and everywhere else, I was trying, trying not to, just trying to keep it in that rev range because it would only really go from nine and a half thousand to eleven and a half. Um, so 
I had I had two thousand RPM to play with. Um, so yeah, it's not it wasn't a lot. There's a couple of onboards online um, Suzuki have put up, and it you'll see sometimes I, I you know I'm I'm in a gear too too low there, and and I have to slip the clutch to get it out, and um, yeah yeah it's got to be there otherwise. Otherwise, you're pissing in the wind, basically. I mean, were you were you swearing quite a bit? Were you making contributions to your swear box then, whenever you didn't quite get it right? Yeah, I was because I was just kicking myself because I thought oh, I should have gone back another gear there. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it was all learning, and it was just um, it was just fantastic. Like you know, when I'm when I'm I'm tucked behind the bubble, and we had we even had the old rev counters and everything. And it's like. You know, I can imagine Mick Grant doing this back in the day, and it was, yeah, it was, it was good. So, I mean, what's it like under nine and a half? Is it dead? Does it do nothing? And then every, honestly, bloody yeah, hell. It, it won't do anything unless you slip the clutch. It, it will get back up there, but it it won't do anything. So, Christ, I'm surprised. I mean, it sounds like a real, uh, like I say, a super exacting thing. Sort of almost. Uh, is it really intense? to ride because of that demand of getting everything just right um yeah i mean the gear change the gear changes is and you've got to think about it a lot more but the way the chassis we we literally we turn up with exactly the same chassis as what they did back it back in the day um and we didn't touch it didn't, didn't touch the suspension once it felt that good so i mean so uh, shock forks, brakes, everything from the what was it an eighties bike effectively? Uh, a Mark Ten. Yeah, I mean we we did have some we had up some upgraded brakes on it, but um, apart from that and and the wheels um, and obviously tires, modern day tires, but uh, but apart from that, it was the same. It was the same as what they run. And, and did they feel all right? I mean, could you ride it with max aggression and still feel as though everything was sticking, stopping, steering as you wish? Yeah, they felt good. And, and again, you know, because you've got to think about it and you've got to get the gears right. So you've you've got to kind of set yourself up before the corner. Um, you know, instead of like on a big bike and, and the four strokes, you can kind of go steaming into the corner and, and sort it out afterwards. Whereas with this, you couldn't. So it was quite, it was good, and it was a, it was a pleasure to ride, and it handled it had probably the best handling bike I've rode around now. Christ, and it's nearly well, it's probably thirty five years old or something. Then that's amazing. Were you surprised by how well it sort of performed? Yeah, I was because obviously you know I had a lot of people, but obviously apart from Mick Grant and the guys who have actually rode them around there, um, a lot of the modern day boys were kind of like you're brave, um, but. <laughs> For me, it, I, I didn't. It didn't seem like that to me, especially after I rode it, because it was a pleasure to ride. You know, it is. It is a bit daunting because obviously I don't make new bits for them and that now. Um, but you know, it is. It was a little bit daunting. But when I got used to it, it was just basically trying to get the engine set up. That was the main thing. Um, obviously, because you've got, you haven't got fuel. It's not fuel injected or anything like that. You've got the jets and stuff like that. So. And the different altitudes around the island. Um, so we that was the main thing, just trying to get the thing set up as good as we could engine-wise. How many laps did that take? How many sessions did it take to get the jetting right? Did you have to keep adjusting it according to the weather? Yeah, that's the thing. And 
that's the thing with two strokes. You know, you could have it perfect one night and then the next night, you know, it could still be dry, but it could all change. Did, did the Spannerman have the uh, the heads and off all the time and was he changing rings and stuff or was it more reliable than that? Yeah, yeah, it was It was just like going back to one, two, five, two stroke days, you know, after every session, taking the heads off and, and checking them and, um, you know, look at, looking at um, how much, how white the, the, the end of the exhaust are and things like that and uh, that's what I liked about it as well. I came one, two, five, it was a bit different, you had data and all that sort of stuff so you could tell but, um, but yeah, that was, that was the nice thing, you know, not plugging a computer into it just having a look um, and and literally Paul was incredible. He, he really was and he, he knew the bike inside and out um, and, you know, he wanted it as much as I did and so did Steve and the whole of the Team Classic Suzuki team. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a brilliant project to be involved in. And you look at them and they're so small as well. Um, ah. You know, I mean, Steve put me on it because I was, I was the only one like I'm a midget, you know, <laughs> and I was the only one who could fit on it. Um, so, uh, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons why I rode it as well, because I'm probably one of the only guys who can get on and ride it. And not just that is, um, you know, I've got a two-stroke experience as well. A lot, so, some modern-day riders now don't have no two-stroke experience. Um, and it's quite, it's quite interesting that, you know, and you see some young riders coming up now – David Todd, I know last year was the first time he rode a two-stroke at a classic, and it was like, how haven't you rode a two-stroke before? But I suppose it's just that era sort of thing again, you know. And, yeah. and I'm only 29, and and it's like, Jesus, how how haven't you rode a two-stroke before? And it was it was really <laughs> weird. Well, well you, you talked about it being small. Was it comfy or was it cramped? You know, because it's it's a long lap, isn't it, at the TT? Yeah, we got it comfy in the end, um, but we put quite a bit of foam on the seat just to prop me up a little bit, um, yep. just to get a bit of spacing between the foot peg and the seat. Um, but the actual original seat from the foot peg to the seat was really, really small and really cramped up. Um, so I, I really don't know how they used to write, especially Mick, because, you know, he's not he's not small like me. He's quite, you know, he's, well, he's a regular size guy. <laughs> um, so I don't know how anyone, would, how any regular size guy would get on a on an RG race bike and race it properly, but it just goes to show, um, yeah, how how much of a, a man there was. I think I don't know if did Will Hartog ride an RG? He did I, he? Did I was going to say because he's tall. Luke Canelli yeah. wasn't that small. No, Uncini wasn't that small. No, well he's. Um, He's he's Dutch, isn't he? So yeah, I don't know how they got tucked in behind the behind the bubble on him, but um, fair play to him. I mean, it sounds way more rewarding than just turning up on something that doesn't need any work that works perfectly well, and then just going to your motorhome. Yeah, it it was, and um, you know the nice thing was it was completely different to anything out there, and we knew he wasn't going to go and win the classic TT in the superbike class because. It it's not cap it wasn't capable of doing that, but it was a project. Um, it was a project for us to do, and everyone was excited about it. And you know, it was just incredible. And the fans on the side of the track as well. You know, uh, Connor Cummins had the the Yamaha 500 out there, um, but I don't think 
it got nowhere near as much recognition as as what we did on the RG. And it was, um, I think everyone just wanted to hear that bike go down Bray Hill again and, and you know, down Glen Crutchley Road again. And it was, uh, it was incredible for the fans as well as everyone else who was involved. Did you have the uh, fingers on the clutch going down Solby Strait and other places where you were flat out for a long time? Yeah, I did, you know. Um, that that was an, obviously another thing um, because I've never really had to do that. Even on the 125, she didn't really do that. But, um, but yeah, always just cover, covering the clutch just in case. Um, and, yeah, it was just it was just like going, you know, obviously I wasn't alive when they, when they raced them, but it was kind of like when I was on it, I felt like one of them. And it was... Um, you know, it's kind of reliving what they went through and it was an incredible feeling. I mean, is that one of the most involving and rewarding racing experiences you've had in all your time then? Yeah, it is because, again, it's, it, it's almost like going back to club racing, you know, when, when it's you and your dad, you don't have any of the data or anything. Well, we didn't. And, um, and it, you, you know, your mechanic, has got to believe in what you're saying and, and, you know, you've got to discuss things and same for the rider, but the rider has got to be honest and truthful about what's going on. Um, and the nice thing was, was obviously we had a couple of onboards so we could go back and look at them as well. Um, so yeah, it, it really was rewarding and it, it was definitely one of the best things I've done in my career. Are you going to ride it again, Daddy? I would like to. I would love to, but um, obviously this year nothing's happening, um, and I've, I'm, I'm on a two-year deal in World Supersport at the moment. So um, next, you know, I've, I've had to kind of scrap everything for the World Supersport job at the minute, um, and that's where my main focus is. But uh, never say never. I would love to. I would love to ride it, and you know, my relationship with Suzuki and Team Classic Suzuki is good. So. Um, you know we've got a good relationship, so uh, yeah, it's it's always nice to see them them bikes out out and about. You know, and, and Suzuki do a, do a massive effort, obviously with their vintage parts program as well. Um, you know, I don't think there's many manufacturers out there what, what do that. So um, I think it's incredible, and and you know everyone loves to see them bikes out if they're doing parades or or if they're racing. You know, and it's uh, yeah, it is it's nice to see them bikes out on track. Is it true, just on the uh, the subject of the vintage parts program, that uh, Paul probably used some bits that are available for the RG five hundred road bike in the race bike? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and that's that's the nice thing about it. You know, they they're doing everything, and it it's it really is it's an incredible thing because you know you see a lot of people with classic bikes now, and and to be honest, if it's not a Suzuki, they struggle to get parts. Um, and it's nice that the Suzuki have that available for them people because, like we see at the, um, you know, they have a, they, they had a classic Suzuki track day last year at Capwell, and so many people turned up, and there were so many classic bikes there, and it was, it was incredible. And then you realise how big that community really is. If I gave you all the resources necessary, would you buy one tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. If I had the money, I would buy one tomorrow. Yeah, good. I think I would too as well. Yeah, uh, really enjoyed that, Danny. Thank you very much. You've helped me uh, relive my youth a bit. 
I'll say this straight away. I properly enjoyed listening to you recalling it with the sort of uh, with the enjoyment that you did. When when I asked you how much you were aware of the RG's history, I didn't think you'd have anything like the knowledge that you do. You were you took me there like Granty on his red RG. I just saw it as soon as you mentioned his name and Rob Mack as well. Um, I mean, because it is such an iconic racing bike, isn't it? I mean, has any other model of race bike done as much as that? I'm not sure that it has. No, I don't, I don't think there is. And there was so many about as well. You know, you think of Parrish on them and Sheeny and, and all them guys and, and also Phil Reed. Um, obviously, he switched to the RGs because they were the bike to be on back in the day. And it was, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was incredible. But also being around them kind of people's, really nice because I love hearing the old stories and you know it's just um and Mick Grant has been fantastic um and really he him him and my my chief mechanic Paul at the time really did calm my nerves about about riding the thing because um they did all of a sudden come on when I was sitting on the start line waiting to go down the hill for the first practice but after that I'm glad I've done it because it's the best thing I've ever done. Do you think Mick Grant and everyone else enjoyed it as much as you, just sort of, you know, being a part of RG action yet again? Yeah, I think they did. And I think, like I say, I think even, I mean, everyone, when we started up on the start line, no one was around John McGuinness or anyone, you know. It was just me sitting there with my girlfriend and my dad and, <laughs> and us warming the RG up with, with Steve Wheatman and them guys and, and there was a massive crowd around it, everyone videoing it, and, and it really was good to see. It's the most attention I've ever had it over on the Isle of Man, you know, with, with the crowds and things, because there were so many people interested in it. Um, and, you know, every time it started up, there was a crowd of people around it. Do you know what? I'm really pleased that so many people can still latch onto it. I mean, you know, I was around to watch Sheen uh, race and win. And people like, I mean, do you know Jack Middleberg and Boot Van Dulman? They won as privateers. They won GPs on a bike that anybody could buy. I mean, that can't happen now, can it? No, and that that is the nice thing, you know. You know, a privateer out the back of their van could have gone and won a Grand Prix. Um, and like you say, you you can't go and do that now. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, it was an incredible era and obviously like I say I wasn't alive then but looking back at the videos and then hearing the stories and everything it's um it's an era I would have loved to have been in. Did, did you feel quite privileged to have raced one then Daddy? Yeah yeah like I say it's one of the best things I've done in my career and I, I couldn't repay Steve Wheatman um and them guys back for, for what they gave me. Well, I didn't expect to enjoy that quite so much. Listening to Danny recall what was obviously a thrilling and emotional experience for him was a real pleasure. Anyway, don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss the next Inside Line podcast. See you then.